I, I got to tell you, the message today is really important. Um, but it's, it's about youth, and I've asked them to share our vision for youth. Um, and we're really, I love that, building a solid foundation. There's a lot going on. I want you to be totally aware of what's going on. Uh, Sean and his team work very hard, and uh, there's a lot happening, a lot of amazing things going on. You've been here how long now? Uh, five years. Five years. Yes. And so a lot of a lot of a lot of good things are going Absolutely. on. And this year just seems really uh, pretty. Um, um, it feels great, but it feels Absolutely. different. I mean, it's like all of a sudden things are kind of expanding, and Absolutely. we're seeing more happening. And Absolutely. youth are receiving Jesus, and I believe it's just God uh, working some amazing things. So tell us a little bit about what's going on. Yes, uh, the youth. We are just having some amazing breakthrough. Um, we're having great one-on-one -on -one discipleship, and I, I think that's the big difference uh, with this year from years previous is high school students, they want more. They, they have questions, I think, like most of us do, and instead of just sitting there and not asking, they're asking those questions, and it is leading into great discussions, lots of Starbucks coffee appointments, um, but it's been great. It's probably uh, my favorite part of the job is having that one-on-one. Yep, absolutely. So, yep. so <clears throat> I want to talk, before I really dive in to talk about our youth, I wanted to talk about this generation, right? And that is Generation Z. You know, they have all these different names for generations. So if you didn't know, that is the name for Generation Z. Uh, and that, you are Generation Z if you were born between 1995 and 2015. So let me ask you a question, Generation Z. Mm -hmm. We're out of the alphabet. <laughs> Yeah, they'll probably start adding two letters, maybe. Oh. Uh, that's my guess. I'm not quite sure. I just, I just was looking at it going, Generation Z, I think yeah. that's it. We have no more letters left, so we've got to do something clever. Uh, now, what's the generation right. before? Uh, that is Generation X, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yes, Generation X. I think that's what I don't want to be called Generation X. You know, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> X, yeah. okay. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot's going on. This is probably, I was thinking about some of the things I've been reading. This is the one generation that is totally growing up with technology. Absolutely. How, what's happening? How's that affecting our kids? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. <laughs> I'll say that. Technology, I think, is amazing. Like, I love it as a person, but as the youth director, I hate it sometimes because we have to battle that. That's like the first thing we have to battle. Yeah. It's one of those things like check your phones at the door, um, and that's a challenge for that. It must so. be. I just, as a matter of fact, I was talking to a Generation X and they were actually showing me for the first time how to use Instagram. And uh, right. boy, do I feel like I'm out of it, right? Like, Absolutely. You know, it was like, really? You don't know about Instagram? Right. Well, I knew about it. Sure. I, I even had it on my phone. I right. mean, that was like, uh -huh. at least I had it on my phone. That's but, uh, you know, <laughs> but, but this group is, they've never known any, with, they've never not known Facebook right. or Instagram or all these things, right? Yes. It's, it's really, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that, it's an opportunity mm -hmm. we can use that. Absolutely. But it's also a challenge. It is very challenging. I think that's the best part about camps. No technology, yeah. no service, right? Yes. You can't have your cell phone. So, yeah. And you see, you see what happens when you don't have that technology. You don't have that thing that they're constantly feeling like they need to grab. Amen. Right? And that we have breakthrough after about three days with no technology. So it's been good. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think about that just with the technology piece. You know, I'm 37 years old, and I remember when my dad came home with the first car phone. 
and it was big. And it was only for work purposes for him, but we were like, that's awesome. And the first time uh, he came home with a computer, I think it was the early 90s, it was like, wow, this is awesome, right? Before Google, right, the phone book, all those things, we had, we had to look that stuff up. And our youth don't know about those times, right? And I think it's easy to forget now with all of our technology, but we all, most of us in here, can remember those times. Uh, but I think on the other note, Generation, uh, Generation Z, we have this amazing opportunity because there's roughly about 74 million uh, in the United States that are in that generation. So that is the future of the church. That is the church, yeah. right? And we have this amazing opportunity to pour into that um, as pastors, as ministry leaders, and as members of this church, right? And, you know, I think about why it's so important. You know, and you think about coming to Jesus. You think about the time that you gave your life over to Jesus. A study by Barna uh, said that most of us form our values, our assumptions, our beliefs by the time we're 20 years old. So if you have not, by the time you're 20, if you have not accepted Jesus, you have not what I call the Romans 10.9, you have not declared that Jesus is your Savior, then it's going to be harder for you to get to that point. And that's not impossible. I know many people that it was after 20 that they came to Jesus. But I think about my own life. I was 17 when I accepted Jesus. And so that's why it's so important. We have this window you can think about from like 12 to 18 where we can really pour into our youth. And our mission is building a solid foundation. And Matthew 7.24 says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows... It is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. You know, Jesus gave us that important illustration to let us know how important it is to have that foundation, right? And you can think about having that rock, right? We have this, and this is our foundation, right? And our ministry here for our youth, what we are trying to do is help our students build that solid foundation, right? Um, It's our goal that our students will have that secure, will be secure in their faith and ready to live their lives for Jesus by the time they graduate high school, right? And you think about when uh, these students graduate, you know, they're excited for graduation. Like right now, my, we have some seniors up there, and it's totally senioritis. Right? They're just like, I want to skip school. I don't want to do this anymore. Just let me graduate. And they're ready to walk across that stage and get that diploma that they worked hard for, right? And you can imagine that they're also receiving a rock. That's what I want. I want them to receive a rock when they graduate, and that rock is Jesus. That rock is their foundation. And so that when things, as you know, life isn't perfect, as things go sideways sometimes, uh, sometimes it's not even our decisions we're making, but life gets chaotic, that instead of pulling away from church, pulling away from church leaders, pulling away from church altogether, they pull into Jesus, right? They pull into us, right? And we achieve this through relevant teaching and adventure opportunities, right? And that, that, that is so huge because when I think about relationships with our youth, where does that start? I remember when I first started as youth director, Pastor Steve, the biggest thing he said to me is, you got to build relationships. Go have fun. I'm like, all right, yes, let's do this. Let's go have fun, right? That's awesome. What a, what a great job, right? Thank you for that. <laughs> And it's not about events. I know sometimes, you know, we stand up here, we do our announcements, and 
It's like, hey, we're going to an escape room, or we're going to iFly, we're going disc golfing, right? And it's like, awesome, right? Yeah. right? But there's more to it than that. Yeah. And though I love having that fun, it's not just about having fun, it's about building relationships, right? It's about getting out there together and bonding, right? And, you know, we do game nights, we do disc golf, we do those other events we talk about, we do summer camp, we're going to do that. Uh, we, in the summers, we do volleyball every Wednesday night, and let me tell you, our youth, they are excited about volleyball, like that's our thing now. It's been a great transition. They love it. But we do that to have fun and build that relationship so that when our teenagers are having some problems, they're having their struggles, whatever that is, that they will come to me or another youth leader and say, hey, I'm struggling in this area, or I don't understand why God's word says this, right? Or I didn't have the best attitude with my mom, and I don't want to die tonight. What should I do? right? <laughs> then we're able to talk to them about that, right? And that is a victory because I know I have two teenage daughters and they are not excited to come talk to me about how they're feeling, right? But my hope is, and I know because they have, they talk to the youth leaders that we have up there, right? And that is a victory. Anytime a, a youth comes and talks to a leader, that is a victory, right? And next, super important, is we study the Word of God, right? And I'm so passionate about that. I'm so passionate about getting our youth to read their Bible daily. That is my number one goal, is just to get them in the Word. You know, and as Pastor talked about a couple weeks ago, we know so we can be and do. And that is what we strive for our youth. Now, we are currently studying the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, which has been just amazing. And we do it in such a format that allows our youth to ask questions, to say, hold on a second. I don't understand that. Why? Why, why is this? And we do it in a small group atmosphere where they can question that. And that really allows us to go deeper so they can have that understanding of God's word and how it applies to them today in 2019. Right? And we're seeing an amazing breakthrough for that. We also have some amazing summer goals for our high school students. We're gonna, uh, this summer we're going to be doing some community outreach. Uh, once a month, students will come together. We're going to give back. We're going to be serving along with uh, the Kitsap Rescue Mission. We're going to be cleaning some parks in Kitsap County. Right? Really wanting to give our youth, just like the book of James talks about, it's not about do you have to, it's about you should want to. Yeah. Right? And we're going to be doing that with our youth. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Absolutely. I have a passion and desire to see every youth that walks through our front door come to know Jesus, to, to really give their life over and to grab this rock and i hope the rock just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger right and they'll have that solid foundation so that they will continue to follow jesus for the rest of their life and i can't do it by myself my team can't do it by myself. it is a partnership as pastor christina talked a couple weeks ago this is a partnership now if you're sitting in here and you're like well i don't have any teenagers like i'm good you can still help. We always need volunteers. Amen. If you, if any of those events I just said are like, yes, I love volleyball. I love those things. Come talk to me or Pastor Christina Lee. Like we always need volunteers. And that is a way that you can partner with us. And most importantly, you can pray. Pray daily for our youth. Pray daily for the future of our church. All right. And parents, I love parents. Like it is a huge partnership. And I would encourage you, uh, we have services at 11 o'clock, middle school and high school, right? And if you're in this service, 
think about coming to 11 o'clock service or bring your youth back for 11 o'clock service because we know that when a teenager is connected with other teenagers, they're going to stick here. They're going to want to come. They're going to want to come to our events, and then they're going to grow with their friends, and they're going to have that solid foundation in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Amen. We're going to do something a little different. I didn't even warn you about this. But um, um, Jacqueline, can you come down? You don't have to say anything. I just want you to come down. This is uh, the other half of this amazing team here. Absolutely. And uh, Jacqueline uh, does so much here uh, in addition to supporting her husband. And and I just love this team. Uh, You you see Jacqueline a lot in the Connections Cafe on Sundays, so amongst other things. But you know what I'd like to do is I'm going to ask you guys in a moment to go down this aisle, and we're going to surround you, and we're going to pray. Because I really believe that this is a critical thing. You know, as you're sharing, as I've been studying, uh, looking at youth, I just thought, this is critical. If we lose this generation, the church is dead. And we can't let that happen. And so I just believe you, you are literally on the front lines, both of you together, your family and what you do. And it's just so absolutely important. And uh, I think, uh, and Bruce, and, and I'm going to get Bruce out and, and uh, Pastor Deanna, and let's, um, let's just do this, okay? So let me go ahead. Uh, and so here's how this works, guys. We're going to put them right in the middle. And so you guys are going to, like, stand up. This is not difficult. You just kind of move towards them. Now, not everyone's going to get a hand on them, but um, uh, we're, we're all going to just kind of come together and turn towards the middle. And if you can't get, you know, especially you guys around here, you'll be critical. But the rest of us, you can, you know, just kind of, you know, feel like, I want to feel like we're moving in together as a community, and you can extend your hand and whatnot. But I think this is important that we do this. And I'm going to go ahead and pray, and I'm going to ask you guys to agree with me. So why don't you guys go ahead and walk down the middle there. Praise God. And once they get there and are standing with each other, go ahead and surround them, would you? bring worship over them first, okay? Let's just do that. Let's bring worship over them. You give life. You are the You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great
ahead and give praise to God right now, would you? Just lift up your praise to Jesus, your thanksgiving. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord God. We praise your holy name, Lord God. We magnify your name, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, you are the Lord Almighty who gives light, who brings light who gives hope. And Lord, we think of our youth and Lord, that this mission that Sean and Jacqueline lead on, we pray, Lord God, that there would be an increase of light. We pray, Lord God, more hope for our youth. We pray, Lord God, that you would bring life. Help them overcome the darkness that so tries to take our, our youth, our children. We pray, Lord God, that you would give them strength by the Holy Spirit to heal those who are broken, to heal those who come, Lord, limping in, wondering who they are, what they're about. We pray, Lord God, that you would bless Sean and Jacqueline. Help them, Lord God, to just see the grace and the mercy and the love of God, Lord, channeling, being extended through them into our youth. And we pray for the victory of God that would come, that would just release, Lord, even more of your spirit and your life into each of our children, each of our youth. You are a great God, and we love you, Lord God. Great are you, Lord. Say that with me. Great are you, Lord. Let's declare that together. size to do that. You okay, Sean? No, you don't come back. Yeah. That's all the blessing you get, brother. I'm so glad Jacqueline was here. She's, that's, they're a great team, amen? Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. I want to take a couple minutes there with you. You know, you hear the, uh, 
the vision that we have. That's a shared vision for our youth. And I was thinking about a moment. You know, we know very little about Jesus' life growing up. I'm sure you realize that. If you don't, um, you should know that we have a few glimpses of his birth and we get a chance to see him just about at that time when he's about to be, he would have been bar mitzvah, which is he would have become an adult uh, in the community. Uh, through, again, back then when they did that, it was much different than today. You know, you, we sometimes connect today with then. It wasn't the same. But uh, he was about ready to really become an adult in the community. Uh, and, then, and then after that, we don't really hear anything about him for, you know, really 18 years until he's almost 30. And so, you know, what happened, and do you know what really struck me, and that's why I, I titled this, can you go back to the title, I, I titled this uh, intentionally, A Family Dem Dilemma, because yeah. I thought, you know, the, we, the one time we hear about what's going on, it's a dilemma. <laughs> I mean, the one time we, we hear about this, this thing that's about to take place, um, it's kind of interesting, the dynamic that happens. So I want to pick this up, and it's just neat to be able to see Jesus as a teenager. And do you ever think about Jesus was a teenager? I mean, I was, I was going through thinking, wait a second, Jesus was a teenager. He was a youth. He was, I mean, he went through all the developmental stages of life. And whatever that might mean. Now, the good news is I'm convinced he was the perfect teenager. Can you say something that? I mean, I, but... I'm not so sure how perfect he was because we see this. I'm, I'm kidding you. But, you know, you see this moment and you realize just the dynamic of what happens in family. We're talking about being a healthy family. And there's some amazing dynamics here. I'd like to read uh, the first uh, few verses if you'll follow along with me. And again, this is, can I say something too? This is from the NIV. I saw someone post an article about the NIV suggesting that it wasn't uh, an appropriate version let me just, here's where when people like don't know what they're talking about, post things, and you realize there's a great deal of ignorance that's possible. Um, there are several NIV versions. And there are some versions that I wouldn't recommend that you shouldn't read, but, but there's also a number of versions that are called uh, the New International Version that are absolutely appropriate to read. And that's the one I'm sharing with you. So someone had posted this thing, and I almost wanted to write back, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but uh, again, you've got to be careful. You know, I, I know you know this, but everything that's, that's put on Facebook isn't necessarily true. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's a shock. Matter of fact, most of everything you see isn't true. But I, just, I know it blows you away, but uh, um, I just, that caught my eye. I was looking at uh, actually someone else's uh, pictures. I love looking at the pictures. Thank you for posting pictures. Uh, but uh, someone put that out there, and it's just, it's inaccurate. So um, anyway, let's look at this together, and if you'll follow along. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And there he was. He was 12 years old. Isn't that great? And they went up to the feast according to the custom. I love the fact that they did that every year. I mean, you just begin to see, you know, Mary and Joseph had a tremendous dedication to, Jesus, to, to the Lord, uh, they, to, to the things of God. Uh, to, to the festivals, to the feasts. I mean, they lived their life uh, really well. And uh, I mean, it's just, I want you to see that this was a big deal. And so they did this. And I, when you think about Passover, I mean, can you imagine, what is the, I mean, real quick here, let's see how good you are. Passover, what is Passover about? Remembering the lamb that was slain. What was the whole point of Passover too? What happened to the people of Israel? 
Right. Just remember, go back to Cecil B. DeMille. You got that image right now, parting the Red Sea, the deliverance of Israel. Even though Cecil B. DeMille is not an accurate biblical uh, you know, uh, <laughs> rendering of what happened, you just, the imagery is there. And that's, it's about deliverance, about God's people being delivered. It's about the sacrifice that was needed in order for all that to happen. Now, can you imagine going to Passover a year with the Passover lamb? I mean, you are raising the lamb that would be slain. And, and whether they knew it or not, I just, it just, it, my mind kind of exploded for a second. I thought every year they made the journey taking with them their son who would be the lamb, the final lamb that would be slain. I, I don't know about you, but that makes the trip a little different. Um, so the feast was over. The parents were returning home. And the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. See, now there's that. Okay, that's interesting, right? Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. When they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Can you see a minute of that? There's a lot going on here. I mean, you think about, there they are going. They have gone to uh, Jerusalem. They've made their trip. And, you know, here I, I was just thinking about all the things that are going on. You know, it was interesting that in the ceremony of Passover, Jesus was the eldest son. And if you remember, we celebrate that almost every year. And you might remember the question that the eldest son is required to ask. So somewhere, this family is having their Passover. And so Jesus would have asked the question, what does this festival mean? And then his dad, Joseph, would have responded, we remember God's redemption how God delivered our ancestors out of slavery and brought them into freedom. We celebrate the mighty power of God. Did Jesus wink at his dad? <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine he asked the question, and I was thinking about Passover and all the questions, because these were things that they would have asked. This comes right out of the Word of God. And they're asking Jesus, so, you know, Jesus asked the question, and his dad responds, oh, that, that was a powerful moment. You think about that. Now, Mary and Joseph did not find him. How could any responsible parents lose their son? <laughs> Especially the son of God. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to lose something, this is something you don't want to lose. <laughs> I mean... You got to realize, I mean, I was thinking Mary and Joseph have got to be the best parents in the planet ever because, I mean, God chose them to be the parents of his son. So they had to have something going on for them, right? And like every parent, let me tell you, you got the Holy Spirit. Get some of that? And I think that really did a lot of work there. But I was thinking about all, now, they did not find him. That isn't so weird because at the time, literally Jerusalem became just overwhelming with numbers. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people at this time because of the population that we know of converged because everyone made it a point to get to Jerusalem. 
And so, and I'll tell you what, we've been in Jerusalem. I mean, I, I hope, I mean, I hope you can go because you get there and you walk in, and we've been there when they've had a couple hundred thousand people celebrating a, a festival or a holiday, and literally all the the gates. The, there's twelve gates uh, back then, but now there aren't twelve. But you, you, they all converge through the gates, headed towards the center, which was it's the Western Wall is, or what you might know as the Wailing Wall, and there. Everyone converges. Let me tell you something. It's easy to lose people. And, and, and it, it's not very big, but all of a sudden you realize as everyone was there, now everyone's leaving. And so we got thousands of people leaving. And so I, my guess is they're thinking Jesus is hanging out with family somewhere way back in the rear because that's what kids do, right? They hang out in the rear. They don't want to walk with mom and dad. I mean, I don't remember, you know, I... My kids, it's like, hey, come, come hang out with that. Oh, dad, no. Man, I got my friends back here. I'm going to go, okay, go ahead. We'll catch you at dinner time. Just make sure you make it to dinner. Well, he, Jesus didn't make it to dinner. And you got to be wondering, so what happened? At this point, they probably walked 20 to 25 miles. And you got to realize they're walking, and there's no fast food. There's no restaurants. There's nothing. They had to walk, and they walked a long way. Uh, and stopped, and we're making camp to continue their journey, and they're going to make dinner, basically. And so dinner's ready, and they're going, Jesus, probably more likely, Yeshua, <laughs> like, where are you? <laughs> and he's nowhere to be found. And, and so now they're talking to everyone, and so what are they going to do? They're going to turn around and start going back. Now, whether they actually went at that moment or waited for first light, because, again, there's no street lights. They don't have flashlights. This is not a safe place. You've got to realize there's a lot of danger going on. So they probably waited for the light to break, and they went back. So you think about the travel away, back, and then looking. It would have taken three days because it just he wasn't there. And so that was one of the reasons why it did take three days. And of course, they didn't expect to find their 12-year-old son in the temple sitting in the middle of all the teachers of Israel. Now, is that like what you want your son to do? <laughs> I mean, if he's going to get lost and like go do something, I mean, how often have we heard the stories of parents who've lost their kids and they found them in a bad place? And so here we find Jesus right in the place that, and they didn't expect it, but there he was. And he wasn't just listening he was asking questions. They were talking, and they were listening. And here this almost adult was just saying some amazing things. You know, this reminded me, our youth have amazing things to say. And just because they're 12 or 13 or, you know, younger doesn't mean that we shouldn't listen to them. Amen. This is an opportunity for me to remind you, man, we need to listen to our kids. The one thing I hear more often by way of a complaint, you know, when I talk to adults later on in life or I, I talk to kids and I ask them, you know, what's, you know, what's in terms of what's going on, here's usually I'll, somewhere in the conversation I'll hear this. No one listens to me. Everyone tells me what to do. And I think we can all be guilty of that. Perhaps one of the greatest ministries we bring to one another and that we can bring to our youth is just to listen to them. And even if it's crazy, even if it's going down the wrong direction, maybe we could resist the interruption and just let them finish their entire thought and then be okay with maybe talking even later. 
I've discovered that sometimes you don't have to get it all in there right then and there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just listen and say, yeah, let's keep talking. And then this amazing thing happens because they know you're listening. And because they know you're listening, what happens when people know you're listening? Then you have what we, perhaps you've heard this term, you get passport. And now you can go ahead and say something later on. I think the problem is is that we short-circuit the process by speaking up too quickly. Now, I'm not saying we, you know, if they're doing something really dangerous, obviously we've got to say, hey, whoop, 911, stop, that kind of a thing. But I'm talking about just living life and trying. We all need to do that for each other. Right. One of the greatest gifts we give to each other that I see and hear and I'm reminded of is that, you know what? Listening's important. Adolescents just really need to be heard. I think that's a big deal. You know, it, you know back then, you know, it was just really different. I mean, if you think about it, adolescents kind of, they didn't have adolescents like we have today. I mean, the whole concept of life and the developmental things. I mean, now, now today, I mean, back then, adolescents, you know, probably started about the same time, you know, I would say at the earliest, maybe 10, most likely 11, 12 and on. And then at 13, there's just no adolescence. You're done. You know, you now become responsible and you, you, you move into this adulthood kind of a thing. And today, you know, adolescence starts, what, about 11 or so? And somewhere between 35 and 40? <laughs> yeah. So at this time, we recognize that, and it says verse uh, 48, 49, it says right there, the parents saw they were, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Has any parent ever not said that <laughs> in some way, right? And your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And, of course, I love his response. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Here's what Jesus said. Don't you trust me? You see, at this point, mom and dad were just overcome by anxiety, as any dad would, or as any mom would. I mean, you think about it, they're just overcome. And the question, why have you treated us like this? Why have you done this to us? I mean, there's somehow this idea that I'm embarrassed, I was looking for you, all the relatives are talking about me, what a horrible mom I am. You know, it's like I can't even keep track of my son, and here you are, and we... we we told you we were leaving. Why weren't you, you know, why didn't you come and say, hey, I need to hang out at the temple and talk to the rabbis? And we might have given you permission, that, but that was our job to give you. You just went ahead and did something without asking for permission. Has any parent ever, like, had that conversation like we have had a bunch of times? You know, if you just ask, who knows? I... I just, I just see this amazing kind of thing. Why were you searching for me? Isn't it obvious where I should be and what I should be doing? In other words, Mom, why are you taking this so personally? Have you forgotten I'm the Messiah? I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm God's only begotten Son, and God used you in this amazing way? I think sometimes when you live life, can I say this to you? Life can just kind of have its way. We forget how special we really are. Now, I realize he's unique. But sometimes life happens and we forget to communicate to the people we live with 
because we get so familiar with life. We forget to stop every now and then and say, you know what, you are an amazing gift. Every now and then I had to remind myself when I, I used to keep, and I still have pictures, cute pictures of my boys when they were babies, because when they, when they act not so cute, I look at that picture and remind myself, what a gift and how cute they once were. <laughs> I think that's a good reminder to remember how special we are to each other and how quickly we can forget those days because of life and how that happens. You know, the idea of, of just trust is such an important part of life, you know. Trust is something that's earned. And when you're trying to develop a healthy family and a good relationship with those around you, you've got to realize that you have to earn it, which means you, you learn to know each other, rely, you commit. I love the idea that when you trust people, you feel safe. You know, I, I'm just totally convinced that in this family, everyone was safe. And they were honest, they were transparent, there was tremendous confidence. These are the dynamic things that help create a healthy family. If you're looking at, so what, what do I do? Well, you've got to know each other. You've got you to learn how to, to rely, how to count on each other. You know, you've got you to learn how to have that kind of commitment and communicate safety and honesty and transparency and, and just the confidence. And when you do those things, trust is something that's going to take place. Is it, I mean, I want you to grab a hold of this. It's, it's so obvious but I wrote this down, and it, it, was, it was something kind of life-changing for me because I just never wrote in the next slide. I put, Jesus lived in a family. The Son of God lived in a family. I mean, he didn't have to. I mean, I've often, do you ever think about why he just didn't come 30 years old and just start, boom, you know, came out of heaven you know, transformed in some earthling and, you know, from being this, you know, God's you know, only begotten son and there he was started. Instead, he went through 29 years of life and, he, and God said, and, and here's what I see, God does nothing by accident. Here's what God's saying to you and I, family's important because he put his son into a family. Now, don't let that escape you of how important that is. Look what it says. And, and you even see the commitment. You see the relationship here. He went down to Nazareth with them and was what? Say that with me. He was? This is the only begotten son. He knew what was going on. Everyone understood what was happening. But here you see Jesus following into a pattern of how to live life. And he knew that at 12 years of age, he's going to go home. And he could have been, I mean, he's the guy who is telling rabbis right now what's going on with the Torah. He's probably talking right now about all that, and they are amazed at the insight he's had. He could have gone home and said, Dad, sit down, let's talk. You know, Mom, let me tell you the way it is. I mean, if anyone could have done that, don't you think Jesus could have done that? But instead, we read this amazing, you know, I, I think of when he said, and it says, you know, the commentary, he emptied himself, divested himself of all of the divinity to be incarnate and to be human. And you begin to realize how all of that dynamic, the being divine and human at the same time, he said, I'm going to be obedient to my parents. 
And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. And I believe that this is a pattern for us. Certainly, he's the son of God. And I'm not going to say that he had to grow into being a son of God. Don't misunderstand that. That would be bad theology. But this is put there for our edification so we can learn how to do this well. Family life prepares children for adulthood and for God's purposes. Family is so important. We as a family, you as a family, we are in this mission of helping our children and our youth become what God intended them to become and to make it into adulthood and be successful as adults. That's why family is so important. Family life is the primary place that the Lord uses to shape our personality, our character, our values, our worldview and faith. You can never minimize the fact that you grow up in this family and that family you grow up will shape you, good or bad. That's why I am so passionate about creating a healthy family that understands the dynamics of all that we're talking about, not only in the home, but right here in this in this community that we have together family life does not have to be perfect to be used of God can you see some of that I want to blow apart the myth that you have to have it all together I mean you don't have to be perfect God uses imperfect people because there's this thing called grace and we see it really you know we see the dynamic I mean Jesus he lived in a blended home he had, if you will, half-brothers, half-sisters. His dad technically was a stepdad, Joseph. You know, I mean, you think about all the dynamics that go on. He understood all these things that were happening. I mean, in a sense, his, in terms of Jewish tradition, his family was not perfect. That's one of the arguments when you talk to the current uh, rabbinical uh, intellectual group of, of uh, people, theologians, who are studying the Word and whatnot, and look at this, they even point to the fact that this doesn't even make sense, that Jesus could be the Messiah, because look at his family, look at his heritage, look at how, where he came from. I mean, there's, there's a real challenge in that. Family life is becoming a low priority in our society. We, I believe, need to turn the corner. You know, hearing Sean share the vision and understanding of you've heard children's ministry, you've heard the babies, all of this that we've shared with you is because we don't want to see that happen where family is no longer important. So you and I being here is elevating the priority of family. You know, it, I just, it's so foundational. Family are foundational. You know, I was thinking I want to share with you really briefly the characteristics of a healthy family environment. Okay, I mean, I just, I want you to walk away with some tools here. And one of the first things I want you to understand is in, in a healthy family, there's affirmation. Encourage each other and build each other up. So it ought to be that when you walk in the door, and you are with your family, you should feel built up and encouraged. I mean, there's a point where we all need to be cheerleaders for the people that live with us. And they ought to know that even if they really blow it, 
they still can hear the words of affirmation and that they are worth it and they are valued. Yeah. One of the most destructive things that I hear later on in life, and I, you know, as we, we, we walk, and I've heard a lot of stories of how they did not feel valued or worth anything in their home growing up. I can't think of anything more. Do you want to really ruin your kids? Then forget to tell them that they're valuable and they're worth it. Stop affirming them. You, you want to destroy a church? Stop affirming each other. But you know what? We're not going to do that. Because I want people to know when they come in this place, they will be affirmed. Because everyone born is of value. Everyone has worth. And it's our job to do this together. I can't, I'm saying this, and I'm asking you to be on my team. And let's make this happen. You know, the idea of acceptance, you know, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Acceptance doesn't mean that we accept sin. Acceptance means that we accept the individual. I mean, it's crazy, but this is a hard thing for a lot of us. I can tell people, I love you, I care about you, I accept you, but I don't agree with your behaviors. There's something very powerful about helping someone know that, you know, how you are behaving and the way you're living life, I don't agree with. But you know what? You're still one of God's creations, and I do love you and care for you. And that is just blows people's mind because how can you... Because, again, what happens, though? People tend to do what with their behaviors? They identify themselves with their behaviors. And so if you don't like my behavior, then you don't like me. And they're struggling with how, how do you differentiate from that? I have no problem in differentiating from that. I have no problem realizing, you know what, you might be using drugs or alcohol or all kinds of you know, bad kinds of things because you're struggling with addiction. But it doesn't mean that I don't accept you and value you and see you for who you are. But your behavior is wrong. It needs to change. It is hurting you. It's hurting people around you. It's destructive. And so you know what? I want you to know I'm here for you. I will be there. I want to affirm you. I want to accept you. But this behavior is not right. Appreciation. Brothers and sisters, appreciate those who work hard among you, who lead you in the Lord and teach you. I think showing appreciation is important. Here it is. Every now and then, when you go and pick up your kids, when you go and, and, and you walk into the cafe, this place is full of mostly volunteers, people who work very hard and give a lot. You have a staff, a pastoral team that is second to none. I say that in just absolute sincerity and confidence. But every now and then it's good to say, hey, Pastor Christina, thank you. I really appreciate what you do. You know, I mean, just to say those words to each other, there's nothing more powerful than thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. Wow. I, I just, I see what you're, and, and finding something positive. Appreciation is important, church. I'm amazed at how people can walk in and out of this place and not say thank you to anybody. Now, I, I'm going to challenge you. How many of you walked into this place and did not appreciate what was going on and you actually noticed? And you walked by and said something to one of those sound guys. I mean, they're all kind of the media team back there. They're kind of hiding behind the Star Trek uh, uh, board there. And, you know, you, you don't, I mean, they're all working hard. They all get here like at 7 o'clock. 
the worship team, I mean, they're here early in the morning. And we just come and say, you know what? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Usually what we hear is, hey, you know what? I'm a little bit loud today. You need to turn that volume down. Oh, by the way, I do appreciate you. Thanks. <laughs> if I hear you saying that, I am going to break something <laughs> on you. <laughs> I mean, we don't want to do that. Can you say a minute of that? I mean, appreciation is so important. Giving attention. Give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. Yeah. I mean, again, sometimes I, I, I had this crazy, it was a simple conversation. I walked with someone the other day. It was uh, on, over the weekend. I just walked up and said, hey, man, I miss you. How you doing? And I kind of talked for a few minutes. And, and just I spent maybe five minutes just, you know, kind of getting caught up kind of a thing. And the person looked at me and said, Pastor, thank you for stopping and talking to me. I said, of course. I said, well, I really appreciate the attention. I said, of course. Now, we hadn't seen each other like for a year. And that was their fault, not mine. <laughs> but it was great that that moment... I just thought, of course I want it. You are part of my family. We have to acknowledge each other. Can you say something to that? (sighs) And affection. Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family. Affection. You know, affection is a really healthy thing if it's done right. The problem is we live in a world that it isn't done very well. You got to remember and be sensitive to the fact there are some people that you're going to come in contact with that have really been hurt terribly. And that's one of the reasons why it's hard for them to receive maybe affection. Doesn't mean, though, you don't give it. Affection is healthy. We need human touch. You've heard of the failure to thrive when it comes to babies because they lack or don't get enough affection? Well, there's a real thing for adults' failure to thrive especially in older adults. When you start looking at some of the things that go on, like in uh, some of the assisted living facilities or you look at some of the uh, uh, you know, convalescent places, things like that, you can actually observe the same thing you might see in a baby with adults in a failure to thrive. We need human contact. I remember my mom before she passed away. Every time Lois and I would go there, she always had to hold my hand. She couldn't get out of bed, could hardly move because she had lost all of her movement, her waist down. And I would come there and she said, see, I just want to hold your hand. And it was interesting because the other residents wanted the same thing. I could have stayed there a long time. But I, I began to see, because the minute we made contact, I saw it in my mom's face. It, every, obviously, I'm her son, but everything changed. It's amazing the contact when we bring a healthy touch to human beings. And we have this amazing thing in us. When we touch someone, now I want you to get your head around this. Jesus is touching them. Because you are ambassadors, you have the Holy Spirit of God, And when you reach out and touch a human being, it is Jesus reaching out. Why why do you think he said what he did? When you do this to the least of them. You know, Jesus wasn't just saying some really nice things that you could walk away and put on a poster. He was saying, you need to live life this way. If you want to, these are the things you want to take away and think, am I doing five simple things 
to be a healthy family in my home and in my church. I am convinced of what God can do. Can you say amen to that church? Let's pray.